You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young. We are here with the president of the Dunstan Group, Scott Dunstan. And we are here with two important and very special people here in our community, Kelly Williams and Fred Fogg from YAP or Youth Advocate Programs. Now, YAP is in 32 states and the District of Columbia, and it's in its 47th year of partnering with systems to provide community-based alternatives to youth incarceration, congregate placements, and neighborhood violence. Now, last year, they launched the But I'm Not public service ad campaign, highlighting really how nonprofits work to transform youth justice, child welfare, behavioral health, intellectual disabilities, and other systems. And that's a really, really tall order. Now, Fred and Kelly, they're up to the task, right? And they are here with YAP. They're going to talk a little bit more you know, about their organization, which is in 32 states, but they do play a major role here in the Charlotte community. We're going to learn more about them, how we can get involved, and really excited to just understand how you guys are supporting the youth in our community. And as a father of two young sons, a four and a two-year-old, I'm very excited about this, but I'm also something where me and my my wife talk a lot about getting our kids involved in organizations and, and really getting our kids involved and, and hanging out with people that are different than them, learning about different people's you know upbringings. And for me, growing up in Atlanta, I got the opportunity to really get to hang out with people that were different than me, that had a different upbringing. And I think it's given me a way better perspective, not only on life, but what I can do to support others. And you guys do that day in and day out. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Great intro, Brian, as always. Second time's a charm, Scott. We won't tell anybody about it. Second time's a charm. The beauty of a non-live show. Uh, Fred and Kelly, welcome you both. Thank you so much for investing a few minutes of your time this morning. And uh, happy Friday. Uh, Before we get into your stories, tell tell folks a little bit more about YAP and and what it does and, and what you all hope to achieve for kids. Well, friend, you want to start or do you want me to? You can even start. So just the overview, you know, as Brian said, it's a different kind of organization. YAP has actually been around for a long time. We're going into our 48th year and we actually just got another state. Um, so it's now 33 states, Connecticut. Um, so breaking news here. Congratulations. <laughs> and we have um, been around really providing exactly what Brian said, community-based alternatives to either incarcerating kids or putting them in these congregate placements like residential treatment homes and and group homes and stuff like that. Instead, when uh, we work with youth justice and child welfare and behavioral health uh, organizations, and what we do as partners with them is we say, hey, look, you don't have to take these kids out of their home. They can actually receive services in their home where we can work with them in a holistic way and their families, and the outcomes will be better. And we're really fortunate because the outcomes actually have been better. You know, we're working with the with kids who people sometimes say that they're incorrigible, that this is like the toughest of the toughest of the tough. And we hire people who really believe that everybody has gifts, everybody has strengths. And if you start delivering like these services from a strength-based perspective by saying to the kid, look, what are you good at? You know, let's say that the kid had been stealing cars or whatever. What are you good at? Well, you know, I I, I could I could start a car, you know, I, I can fix cars. Well, why not connect that person as you're 
you know, providing tools to help that kid really become the best person they can be, why not connect that person to like an auto mechanic shop or a tire store or a tire place, you know, in the neighborhood where somebody can work with them. We pay the kid while they're doing it and they're actually learning a job skill. What if the kid, you know, it's just we learned that the kid really likes school or they really like to read, but they don't know, they don't know any great books and we find out what they're interested in. Anyway, things like that. So we do that while working with their families, too. And as a result of that, we're really having positive outcomes. Eighty seven percent of the kids who we're working with are still in their communities. And again, we're talking about the toughest of the tough um, uh, six to 12 months after we um, start working with them. They're, they're not locked up. They haven't, you know, higher percentages than that 90 percent or or even now higher um, of the kids that we're working with um, have not been rearrested for, you know, other felonies in the times that they've been working with us. So it's fantastic. I want Fred really though to talk us. Fred has been working with YAP. I do marketing and communications, but Fred has been working with YAP and in the field, hands-on um, for what, 28 years, Fred? 26. Wow. <laughs> Congratulations, yeah, I was, I was, man. Started as a baby. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about it. Well, as, as Kelly alluded to, we are a strength-based model. Um, our focus is on, you know, building the strengths and the capacity of the young people and the families. Uh, so, you know, the, the young person might be the identified participant in a lot of cases, but we work with that entire family. We understand that that identified participant is only going to be as successful as that family environment that they're living in. Um, and another note, you know, although our, our, our primary, um, our initial focus of work, you know, when we started um, 47 years ago, um, you know, back in Pennsylvania was young people, um, you know, youth, thus the youth advocate programs. Um, the goal at that time was to remove young people who have been incarcerated in adult prisons from those dangerous, risky environments um, and have them return to their community with the supports that they need to make them successful in the community. With that success, um, showing that these young people could be maintained in their community with given their appropriate resources and supports um, we were able to expand into other states. Um, and with that, you know, the idea is that, of course, young people have needs, uh, you know, our participants have challenges, but that's not the ultimate focus. We know there's some things that we have to do to get them on the right track. But what we want to know is what do you want to do? What do you need? Uh, we asked some very basic questions, four basic questions. What do you need? How can we help? How do you work to, together as partners to fulfill your goals? And how do you give back? Um, because we want to bring them back. And, and, you know, once they've achieved their goals, reach back and help others um, along that same path. Um, and again, I've started, you know, doing this work um, in mid nineties um, and really fell in love with the mission. Um, this is one of the first uh, organizations that I saw. We did everything opposite of everyone else. Um, you know, we, we, it wasn't just thing out of the box. We were outside of the box. That's where we were. Um, we wanted the most difficult kids, the most difficult families. We wanted everyone that no one else wanted. Um, and, you know, we never came in and said, hey, this is what you need to do. We asked, again, those same questions. What do you need? How do we help? Um, and our, our work is participant and family focused. So they develop the plans. We sit with them and, and, and work with them to develop a plan that they, they drive, they have buy into. Um, and if the plan is not working, we change the plan. You know, it's not the individual, it's not the family. We just got the wrong plan. So we go back to the drawing board and develop a plan that fits that family. Um, or that young person or that high risk participant um, to help them become successful. Um, and that's been, you know, no matter what the service arena, whether it's juvenile justice, child welfare, behavioral health, those same principles um, are implemented in each of those service areas. Um, it's family driven, family focused. 
they drive the work and we help them along that path. How do you initially engage with, with these kids is, are you lined up with the jail prison system or tell us about how that relationship gets started? So it, it depends on what the what the service is and, and what the opportunity is in that particular community. In some cases, we may receive a direct referral, um, whether it be from a court system or from uh, a child welfare entity, um, a behavioral health referral. In other cases, you know, for some of our violence intervention work, we have the opportunity to just go and identify individuals in the community who are at high risk or high need and engage them directly and, and bring them on to services. Um, so it depends on what that service is as to how we engage. Tell me a little bit about, you know, kind of going before you joined and Fred, I'm going to ask you this as well, Kelly, you know, a lot of the the nonprofits that we bring on, it, it always fascinates me, the story that led them there. What, what was the thing that really was the calling that said, this is going to be it for me. And this is something that I can make an impact. And Fred, obviously you've been with the organization for a very long time. Tell us about kind of where you're from and your story to get to that point. And then Kelly, I want you to say this or to, to tell us the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, for me, um, I was, you know, originally I was born in North New Jersey, born and raised in North New Jersey. Um, and for me, I was that kid, right? <clears throat> I was that kid that had, you know, was academically inclined, um, had a nice, you know, skill set, um, athletically inclined. Um, but lived in an environment, um, you know, that really, really didn't support those and nourish those talents um, and those abilities um, and ended up, you know, going down the wrong road at some point, um, you know, changing environments, you know, due to the economy at the time, you know, was able to move out of Newark and get into an environment that was, you know, great and really supported my educational goals and then had to come back to Newark at some point. Um, and then, you know, the environment, although the educational system tried, really couldn't support um, my academic goals and, and needs. Um, and in that environment at that time, you know, 80s, um, 80s, um, there was a lot going and going on in the community. Um, you really didn't get uh, a lot of praise for your academic ability in that environment. <laughs> but if you could fight, um, you know, that's where you got your um, your cred in the community. So. Um, you know, adjusting and having the environment impact me in that way led me down, you know, the wrong path. Um, and, you know, I was blessed by having, you know, good, solid parents who always supported me, um, you know, no matter what. Um, I was able to come back around um, and change direction, um, you know, get on the right track. You know, I had, you know, positive people in my life to help me do that. And then, you know, it led me down the path of realizing that, Although I had the ability um, and the support to be able to make that change and move in the right direction, not everyone does. Um, and I know that, you know, as, as with myself, you know, having the ability but not having the support can definitely change the outcome of a young person's life. So, you know, I felt that, that I really wanted to engage in this type of work and, and help those who didn't have the ability to do it themselves or support system um, that would kind of help them through the process. And again, when I first read about, um, you know, gap and the work that was being done and the fact that they focused on strengths and not deficits um no matter what you did in the past that's not going to define your future all that spoke to me and i you know i really felt that this is an organization that i really needed to be a part of um and that was over 26 years ago and since then um you know i've lived the mission um you know I've, i've been a part of the culture and it hasn't changed since then like that culture is what drives who we are um, it's what gives us our success and our, our sustainability. Um, and everyone, no matter who you talk to in Yap, 
um, they're going to tell you the same thing. You know, it's strength-based, mm -hmm. family-focused, um, and everyone believes in this work. That's why we've achieved the outcomes that we have. I love that. That's, amazing. that's absolutely yeah. amazing. And your story must have such an impact on, on the folks you all are serving. Um, that's, that's awesome, man. That's all. How about you, Kelly? Well, with me, I, um, you know, most of the uh, families that we work with are headed by single parents. Um, I'm a single mom, now grandma. Uh, Congratulations. And I'm a person. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But you have to say that, but anyway, because <laughs> we're just gonna say you look old. No, look no. Hey, I love grandparents. I'm actually surprised by that statement. My mother and father-in-law oh, they moved to Florida for four months. I miss them. Come back. We need babysitters. <laughs> <laughs> Come on home. Yeah. So, um, but with me, I, um, you know, first generation college grad. My mom grew up, you know, one of sixteen kids in Okmulgee, Oklahoma. They were sharecroppers, you know. Um, and, and we had our struggles when I was a child. Um, and yet I was very fortunate to be able to come into contact with people who, you know, told me about college. And I, 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 I went to college. I finished grad school at the University of Missouri Journal, you know, School of Journalism. And I was a journalist for years. And I then went in and out of corporate PR, you know, and um and journalism, but really my heart was just always in, in helping people. I wrote a couple of books for single moms, worked with single moms. Um, and then I had an opportunity to work for a multicultural advertising agency. And um, you know, I, I done a lot of stuff. Um, you know, AT&T worked for a, um, a defense contractor, but my was just always in this. And I'm thinking, why don't I just do this full time? You know, and I, you know, and I had to just get to the point where I was like, okay, don't I have enough stuff? You know, <laughs> and uh and, and, and so I just, I, w I worked for, I headed communications and marketing for a long time with Big Brothers Big Sisters of America. Um, and then I worked for a healthcare organization. And then I, I saw an ad um, for a person to really start a marketing and communications function um, at YAP. And that was about four years ago. And prior to that, they really kind of did everything without really talking about it. Um, you know, when I started there, like, well, we don't brag about what we're doing. I'm like, well, you need to brag about what you're doing. You know, <laughs> we're doing great stuff here. And the way you're going to attract funders is for people to know these stories, these success stories. So, um, you know, I got to start from scratch. I got to like be an entrepreneur when I came here and work with great people like Fred and his team. And I'm telling you that you guys are impressed by Fred's story. And there's so many stories at YAP that are like that. And then you meet the kids and the families and you, and you hear them, you know, um, say great things about, about the advocates who we hire. We hire neighborhood-based advocates, people who can relate to the kids and families. You know, we people say, what do you have to do to work at YAP? You know, we hire from GED to PhD. You just have to have a heart and be willing to do this training and really believe in it. And if you believe in it, the kids and the families believe it. It takes, it takes a while sometimes, you know, to break that. But um, even in my job, having had some of the experiences that that uh, the folks that we work with, it, it helps people to understand, you know, um, that your story is an amazing story. You know, a lot of times we work with people and they've been beat down so much and told that their 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 failures are told that their statistics and so forth. And I get to show people that you know what, no one knows your story but you, um, and and you, no one can tell your story but you. And 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 to be able to just like build them up so that they'll share their stories, you know, with journalists. Which then, when we we share those stories with with funders, it helps us you know, uh, raise additional money because the money that we get to pay folks right now is really just through the contracts that we have with, 
you know, county governments um, are, or, you know, we, we have, they're either, you know, youth justice, organ, uh, youth justice systems or child welfare systems and, and so forth. But, you know, to do the work that we do and to be able to have the kind of partnerships that we have with employers so that we can pay kids and they can work in their neighborhoods and so forth, you know, we, we need funding for that kind of thing. And the stories are, are what really no matter how, I don't care how many brochures you can give people and so, and so forth, those stories that we tell. You guys mentioned the PSA campaign, um, but I'm not. Uh, that that helps show people, oh, okay, well, you're not. Well, wow, you know, you get to define your own future. Isn't that amazing? What kind of organization is that? And so it's been very helpful. I love the I love the background on that. And I love that you say from GED to PhD. That's amazing, right? It's more about the story, the passion, the love. Are you here to help people? Is that something that's in your blood? And if it is, you can make a big impact. You know, we've had a lot of amazing organizations. One that we work with locally is uh, is YBLA with uh, Tammy and John Martin and understanding the, the what they do on that level, but how they support them. And it was something that me and Scott didn't even know about, right? And now we've been able to support them for four years. But what we've learned from them, it's really just giving the hope, right? It's giving them the belief that they can achieve anything. And with people like yourselves who have gone through that and now are advocating for that, that's pretty incredible. And I want to look like you guys are a real success story. If we look at the annual report, really the number of kids graduating high school, living successfully, you know, in their community, me and my wife talk about this all the time. And it's something my dad instilled to me is the, the goal of parents is, is to provide to love, but ultimately is to, is to make your kid uh, want to be successful, to be a good member in community, somebody that can go out on their own and create their own family. And and I look at that with my kids. It's, it's, you know, there's tough love, but it's also giving them the tools necessary that they can believe in themselves. And so when they go out on their own, they can contribute to community. They can create their own brands. They can be who they want to be. And, and I, and that's like my passion. That's what I want to be able to do with my own kids. But you guys have incredible numbers, incredible stories Tell us a little bit about those for people that aren't familiar with YAP, but really the impact that you guys have played and will continue to play. Yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, I want to say to you, Brian, that I think that when you talk about your kids and um, the, what you're, you're, you're a role model for them. And imagine if you didn't have the tools, you know, even the self-confidence to be able to do what you do. Well, what we do when we work with um, with young people is we work with their families as well. You know, you're, you're, you, they get to come up with a plan, as Fred said. Uh, so here they are, you know, coming up with their own individualized service plan, starting with their kid's strength. And then when we start, you know, seeing what tools we can kind of connect that kid to in the neighborhood, other nonprofits, um, you know, employers, uh, tutoring, whatever that kid needs. We also find out what that family needs. Um, and a lot of times they're basic needs. They may need food in the refrigerator. Sometimes those kids are actually selling drugs because they're trying to help their mom out. And so what does mom need? Sometimes mom says, I don't even have a high school education. Well, let's get her some GED courses, those kinds of things. So that those parents can feel confident enough to know that they can take the steps to firm their child's foundation, which everybody wants. No parent wants their kid to fail. Every parent has those same desires that you have for your children and they want to see them succeed. But oftentimes because of all kinds of generational things that have happened, you know, that's been broken down. And what we do is we help to build it, build it up. And I know you asked for specific um, stories and Fred's got a gazillion to all. Let him do that. <laughs> So, I mean, and, and this is what Kelly mentioned. I mean, one of what people don't, oftentimes people look at the behaviors 
um, and don't look at the root causes. Um, for instance, we have young people who we work with who um, are you know delinquent in school, um, don't show up to school, and you know the issue is that they're delinquent. That's the that's the issue why we might have gotten the referral. Um, but what we do is we go in and do you know an assessment with that family. What are the needs and and what are the challenges and how do we overcome those? And it could be very basic things like, you know, for instance, we found in, in some cases where a young person, um, you know, was mom worked, you know, she was actually working and working a late shift. She got home late. Um, and she, as she, she came, I think, were the grade shift. And as she was coming, the children were going out to school. So the older sibling was the one responsible for making sure that the younger siblings got out to go to school every morning. Um, and if he was behind and mind you, this young person was making breakfast, making lunches, checking homework, um, cause mom's out, you know, making a living. Um, and as he was getting the siblings off to school, he would end up being late to school. Um, so after so many lates, you get a suspension. Uh, if you don't start a suspension or, or detention, if you don't turn detention and you get suspended. So if you can't do the detention because you have to pick up your siblings from school, then you go to a suspension and ultimately an expulsion if you don't, you know, return. And so these are the issues, but what no one really understood was we needed to go in and identify what the challenges were. How do we get the appropriate resources in the home? Find daycare um, for the parents, that transition from work to school. Um, find assistance for the young people to get to school, to transport them to school. Um, so plugging those pieces in for that, for that parent to make sure that there was a transition, someone they was able to come in and help. Um, and in this case, it was actually a neighbor and we were able to connect with that was able to come in and assist with that transition so the kids could get out of school Everyone was out of school on time, and the young person was still able to pick up his siblings after school. But that one little piece changed, and the young person was doing well in school. But because of the lateness and those things, he was he was going to be expelled. Um, so that helped that young person get back on track. Um, and in some cases, we have parents who might be, you know, it might be appeared that that parent doesn't want to engage in the young person's education. But what we find is sometimes the parents don't feel confident enough to go in and advocate on their children's behalf, or they may not have the appropriate attire, or their hair may not be done. So they don't want to go to school and embarrass their child. Uh, so what we do in those cases is identify what those challenges are. We make sure mom has the appropriate outfit, um, you know, that she feels comfortable wearing. Um, whether she needs to get her hair done, we'll assist with that. So she feels confident going into the environment. And we also, we have a process called do for, do with, and cheer on. So initially, you know, a lot of the participants we work with have high need. So we may have to do a lot of things for them, kind of modeling that behavior. Um, and then we bring them into the process and do things with them. And then ultimately, we kind of step back and just cheer them on from afar. Um, but in those cases, you know, we may have to take that parent to the school and go over some talking points, model the things you want to ask about or talk about around your child's education. Um, so they get an example of what that looks like, what they have the right to ask, what kind of questions they should ask things they should follow up on, what their rights are as a parent. Um, and then eventually, you know, we'll begin to back out and say, hey, look, you know, you need to schedule the next meeting, you know, the next school meeting. These are your talking points. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to follow up. We make sure they have transportation, get to the meeting, attend, and we'll do a follow-up. How did things go? Did you miss anything? Did you ask all the questions? And then, you know, we'll begin to gradually back out of that as that parent builds confidence. They have the appropriate attire. They have, you know, they know how to advocate. So those kinds of things. And sometimes it's very basic, something as minimal as an alarm clock in the home to make sure the kids get up on time or mom gets out to work on time. Um, but whatever the need, it's a holistic approach. Whatever that need is, we fill those gaps. And we don't, we don't, you know, profess to do it all. 
Um, our goal is to identify what the needs are and connect those family members to the appropriate resources in the community. So we maximize existing resources, reduce duplication, um, and make sure that those services are a benefit. You know, we don't we don't try to to uh, fit a family into a need. We build the needs. We build uh, those services around the family um, as diverse as they might be. And if they don't exist, we'll help establish them and create them. Yeah. There's there's a, a a website, well, it's actually a blog site that we started called theneighborhoodadvocate.org. Now, remember that the people who work with us are neighborhood advocates. We hire, uh, we do zip code-based recruiting. And there's some great stories on there, too, if you ever want to see. There's a kid, we just posted a, a video. I was just happened to be at this meeting, and he spoke. He's from St. Petersburg, Florida. And he was speaking about what happened, um, you know, his his whole life story, basically, um, when he got taken out of his home when he was a, a baby, basically, he was three years old, uh, because his sister went to school and she had an iron burn from the from the stove and it was an accident, but they took the kids out of the home. See, that's the thing that we, we were like, no, don't take mom. Let's work with mom. Let's find out what we need. But anyway, they took the kid out of the home. Dad was incarcerated. And um, he talked about how he was uh, he committed a crime and he was I think he said he was like 13 or something. He says it right. It's a short video. And um, and he, you know, he admitted to the crime and so forth. And and uh, then he was put on probation. So he had to be in the house at six o'clock. And after he got out of school, you know, he wants to play. It's sunshine. It's in Florida. But he kept getting you know, they, they he kept getting the probation extended because he was going outside to play. Basically, he was trying to be a kid. Eventually, a judge um, said, let me change your curfew. She made the curfew by the time he was 17 because he had dropped out of school. She made the curfew. Um, she moved it up to 11 o'clock and put him in. Yeah. And then all of a sudden his life changes. You know, his advocate takes him out. He said he hadn't even gone to the beach. He lived like, you know, like five minutes from the beach or whatever. He had never wow. been to the beach. Um, before and he starts doing all these activities, he's working, he's doing community service, he gets taken off probation. He's now he's working on getting, um, you know, back in school. And, and he's a great kid. If you met him, you just like fall in love with this kid. And it's like, you know, a lot of times people look at these kids who commit crimes, you see these mug shots, and they're looking at them like they're grown men, like they're criminals, you know, and they may have done one thing that maybe if they had resources and a great lawyer and so forth, they, you know, and, and their parents had resources, they'd be able to, you know, sweep it under the, move on and say something that happened as a child, but these things are sticking to them. So our whole thing is get these kids out of these systems, you know, help them and their families so that they have the tools so that they can change you know, the outcomes, not just for themselves, but for generations to come. And, and that's what we're that's what we're all about. That's absolutely amazing. What do you all see like as the I think you've already answered it, really. But to dive further in, what do you see as the root is the, the common root of, of most of these kids issues? Is it is it the home? Is it the family? Is it a broken family? Um, you know, speak a yeah. little bit more on that, if you will. I, Fred, I'm, on, I'm trying my best not to because this is the thing everybody's like, God, Kelly, can you stop? But it's systemic. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, poverty is systemic. Racism is systemic. And when you say that, it's connected to all things. It's connected to health systems, education systems, the juvenile justice system. You know, people who are underprivileged have the toughest time breaking those cycles. And so that's why we approach what we do from a systemic point of view. You know, it's like, can we change the system of just locking up the kid? Can we instead, let's change that. Let's work on that. 
Sometimes that is tied to schools. Instead of putting the kid, if a kid has tr uh, is truant, why are you going to say that they're a criminal? <laughs> why not work on the basic stuff? That's why are the, why is the kid not going to school? What's going on in the family? Work with the family instead of just accusing and saying those are the bad people. We're the good people. We're all complex. And when we approach you know these things systemically like that, then you know you're able to break some of those cycles. Are you seeing? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Fred. No, absolutely. I was going to say the same, you know, same exact thing. We, we've done work in terms of changing systems, um, you know, ending school prison pipeline, you know, closing youth prisons, um, things that only further, um, you know, create uh, problems in communities. Um, you know, if you, it's a study will show any young person, once they're incarcerated, you know, and they have handcuffs on and, and end up in a detention facility, you increase the likelihood of further involvement in the justice system. Uh, but we can divert them from those experiences. I mean, and that's, and, and oftentimes, you know, our young people in certain communities are dealing with, um, you know, PTSD. And I know people associate PTSD with post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, we look at it in certain communities as persistent, you know, traumatic stress. You know, there are circumstances and environments that these young people have to deal with on a daily basis that they need the skills and the tools to be able to manage themselves in. Um, and then to further traumatize them by incarceration um, you know, makes the situation that much worse. Um, so as we, you know, the, the, the less we engage young people with punitive measures and, and embrace them um, and provide them with the appropriate supports and move them in the right direction, the better outcomes we'll see. Um, you know, I've been involved in juvenile justice work since my, my, you know, career started and making reforms. And we've seen, you know, with closing youth prisons and redirecting funds to community-based organizations, We've been able to significantly reduce, and I'm speaking from New Jersey, that's what most of my experience has been, reduce um, the number of young people incarcerated, about over 2,000 young people um, over the course of time, with um, ensuring public safety and keeping recidivism rates down among those populations. Because they're, they're given opportunities to identify challenges, just identify challenges, build their skill set, and maintain themselves in the community as opposed to, you know, being placed in, in carceral facilities um, and then being expected to come back to a community and be successful, um, you know, having a juvenile or an adult record in some cases um, and trying to, you know, re-engage with mainstream society. It, it, the, the challenges mount from there. Um, so, yeah, there are some systemic issues, um, you know, that we try to address broadly. We do the work individually with families, young people, communities, but more broadly, we're also involved in changing some of those systems to make sure that the work is more impactful. I love that. And, you know, as we start to wrap this up and, and learn more about how people can support it, you guys, the NBA is a big supporter of YAP's work, along with a lot of other big names. How can this community, how can organizations, corporations, or really just individuals support YAP? And what do you guys need from this community to continue to grow and continue to make this positive impact on youth? Yeah, well, in addition to the Charlotte Youth Justice Program that we're running, where we're actually, you know, working with kids, with, with advocates and so forth, um, we're also doing the Alternatives to Violence uh, Program using a similar model, but matched with another violence um, reduction model, um, Pure Violence, those two coupled. Um, so in, in both of those, um, jobs is super important. Um, 
people, uh, organizations that uh, have other resources, whether it's food or um, helping with utility bills or those other kinds of basic needs resources. Those are the kinds of things that our advocates work together to make sure that we're connecting families to depending on what their individual needs are. Um, and then just overall, we also uh, nationally, uh, we like to have and need to have um, partnerships with um, foundations and corporations that also have as their objective wanting to, uh, you know, re reduce uh, racial inequities and in systems and and have better outcomes. And we tell people to go to yapinc.org, y-a-p-i-n-c.org, and you can look for jobs in your community. You can look for um, if you want to if you want to uh, help us with funding or with specific kind of funding or unrestricted, you can make a donation um, and, and you can reach out to us for partnerships in that way as well. I love it. Well, this has been That's fantastic. Awesome. You know, we, um, we appreciate y'all sharing your story. I've learned a lot. Um, and I think the one thing that I've learned the most, we, we, um, I'm, I'm a very like neighbor type of person, right? I, I want to meet my neighbors, my kids and our dog, we're all outside and we've made great relationships, but there's a lot of people in this community and elsewhere where you don't have that front porch experience, right? It's you show up to your garage, you go in, you close it. Like people don't even know their neighbors. And I always tell yeah. people, if you want to make an impact, meet, meet your neighbors, figure out what their needs are. Right. And I think for me, it kind of changes you know, just looking at a whole, well, that person might be bad, but it's really like, what does that one need? Maybe they are stealing drugs to get food for their mom. Well, if you can support them and have food there, guess what? You're now enabling that child to be more focused on school and sports and things that will help them. And I don't think I've ever really thought of it that way, you know? So I, I really appreciate you guys enlightening me on that. I think it's fascinating. Now, um, before we let you guys go, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Uh, I know you had mentioned the the website. I'm sure you guys have social media and all those different things, but what's the best way for people to learn more and then obviously give back and and, and really support you guys, whether that's just liking or sharing, you know, on social media, you know, financially or getting involved uh, themselves? Yeah. So um, on Facebook, you can uh, go to us at Yapik 1975. That's our uh, our founding year. Uh, so it's youth advocate programs. And I say that, I'm going to say that again, because there's so many organizations that have names that sound similar to ours, Youth Advocate Programs, Inc. On LinkedIn, you can go to at Yap Inc. on Twitter. And again, if all of that's too much, just always go to our website, yapinc.org. And I also mentioned the stories on our blog site, which is Theneighborhoodadvocate.org. That's a whole lot of stuff, but <laughs> you guys are so nice. Yeah. Uh, Scott, yeah. Brian, I mean, Brian, you have a heart. I'm like, yeah, bro, I tell you. Ah. <laughs> here's, Thank a you. here's recruitment. We can get involved. No, you. it's very comforting to know that there are leaders in our community like you all. And I just want to say thank you. Um, thank you're, you guys. You're making very an impact. And, and uh, hell, I'm about to tear up because it, it's, it's just, it's very comforting to know. So thank you. We, we appreciate your work and, thank and thank uh, you, if Fred, we can help in any this. way, I... we, we want to, because it's our youth that is all of our future and it's very important for uh, them to succeed. So you guys are providing those tools. Absolutely. You guys yeah. have a quote on your website. I'm going to leave this with everybody because I think it's super powerful. And this is what it is. When one person's foundation is strengthened, we all benefit. Amen. Just think about that. Hey, you know, yeah. you know, I mean, rising tide, we all, we all rise together. You know, 100%. It's just, it's a hundred percent. And, and yeah. I think there's so many people that want to look at, at problems and, 
and throw it in some big bucket. Like all the problems are the same, whether it's our country, the world. The reality is, is that everybody's problems are different. And you guys have enlightened me on really trying to find out the solution. What's the problem here? How do we create the strength? How do we maximize the strength? But also get involved in your communities. Talk to your neighbors. There could be somebody right next door to you that has problems that you could easily help, but you haven't even opened up the door to have that conversation. And then the other thing I would challenge people on, if you're in a neighborhood where everything's great, go venture out to a neighborhood where it isn't. You know, there's more stories out in in specifically Charlotte as a whole. And this podcast has opened us up to every walk of life from every corner of, of this city and really this country. And that's something that I've been really fascinated with. And, and um, I don't know, it's just exciting to have people like yourselves in our community that are doing things like this. Hopefully this has educated more people, challenged them to go out and, and make a difference because, you know, when one person's foundation is strengthened, we all benefit. And I don't think there's anything more powerful than that. That's right. You guys are awesome. So Kelly and Fred, thank you guys so much for joining us. Like we always mentioned, like, share, comment, go follow them on social media, give them some love, go on the website, go listen to the videos. If it's something that that, uh, you're passionate about or you want an introduction, you can reach out to me and Scott. We'd be glad to do that. And Kelly and Fred, I look forward to meeting you in person in the future. And just thank you so much for everything that you guys have been doing. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. I love it. Until uh, until next time, you've been listening to this episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast. You've been listening to the Brand Builders Podcast, brought to you by the Dunstan Group with your host, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. For branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last, check out the Dunstan Group at dunstangroup.com.